So there's there there are two possibilities going on here. One, you're you're bringing up a term that I have never heard before. The the other possibility is that this is a term I've heard before, but it involves a language that uses pronunciation that's different from Latinate, and so you have no idea how to say it properly. An intensely 80s post-apocalyptic schlock film. Oh, and schlong film. You know, it's been over 20 years, but spoilers. Oh, okay. So so the resident Catholic thinking about that, we're going for low Earth orbit. There is no rational here. Blame it on me after. And you know I will. I mean, it is two o'clock in the fucking morning where I am. <laughs> I don't think you can get very much more homosexual panic than that. No, which I don't know if that's better. I mean, you guys are Catholics. You tell me. I'm just kind of excited that like you and producer George will have something to talk about that basically just means that I can show up and get fed. to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history and English teacher here in Northern California, working at the sixth grade level. Or not right now. We're, I'm on contractual unemployment at the moment, but you get the idea. And uh, just earlier today, as a matter of fact, I uh, had the opportunity, my, my wife and I took our son uh, to the home of one of his best friends from preschool, from pre-K, and um, the the kids, the three of them, uh, my son, the host's son, and a third kid, uh, spent, I want to say it was about four hours basically running at absolute max throttle. Uh, had a great time playing, running around, playing in the sandbox at, at these folks' house, uh, playing with bubble guns. Like, I mean, yeah, just just running at max hertz. And, uh, <laughs> my wife and I had the opportunity to sit down with uh, a couple of other couples and, and kind of, you know, talk to adults, uh, for a little while, uh, which was wonderful. Uh, and, uh, we're, we're all kind of getting to know each other as a, as a trio of couples. And it's, it's nice making, making parent friends, um, has been, uh, I don't want to say difficult, but but because Lee and I became parents as late as we did, um, we have not. It, it has not always been easy to to you know uh, mesh with with other other parents of kids the same age, and so it's really nice uh, with with these two particular couples. We get along real well, and the funny thing is, Lee and I are uh, in in our mid to late forties. Uh, the next couple are just about to enter their forties. Uh, and then the youngest couple, uh, are in their early thirties. Um, and, uh, so we, we have the, we have this interesting kind of, kind of, uh, 
diversity of, of age within the group, but we all still have enough stuff in common, not just from being parents, but like all three of the dads were, were nerds. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I found out like when we, when we went to one kid's birthday party, uh, figured out that, uh, his dad, uh, has been a magic player for, you know, 20 years. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, from there I was able to go like, oh yeah, no, you know, fuck wizards of the coast. He was like, yes, fuck wizards of the coast. And we were able to, you know, have that kind of conversation. Um, and, and the third dad, um, uh, you know, knows about the Warhammer 40 K universe, but he's a video game guy, not a tabletop guy. And, and so we, we found out that we have enough stuff in common that we can actually like carry on a conversation. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's nice to, to be able to do that and to be making these friends with this, you know, similar common kind of experience. So that's, that's what I had going on. How about you, sir? Well, my name's Damien Harmony. I'm a U.S. history teacher up here in Northern California at the high school level when such a thing occurs. Actually, by the time this recording hits, we're probably back in school. Uh, Yeah, that's true. But uh, let's see uh, what I've got going on. uh, Pretty simple, actually. Um, I, as you know, I have been game mastering for my children since my daughter could do simple arithmetic and read. Mm -hmm. Uh, Highly recommended once your child is at that level. Um, And then uh, my partner has two children who have never D&D'd. And we have not yet introduced our children. Mm. Uh, And we've been together for two and a half years. And I I will say this. When you are dating uh, this late in life, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, because we met, again, two and a half years ago, give or take. You know, we certainly Mm -hmm. talked for a while as friends. Um, But but more pertinently when you're dating this this late you're way patient about things because mm-hmm. neither of us are moving into each other's houses mm-hmm. neither of us are looking to sell our houses neither of us are particularly keen to take on raising two more children <laughs> um we're we're good yeah. where we're at and yeah. where we can walk together we do and where we can't it's we have standing orders go be a parent right now like yeah we've canceled so many dates because the kids need us Mm-hmm. On, on either side of this river yeah. um because she lives you know 110 over um but uh and and same with like oh you're just too tired to hang out because you're a single parent totally understand enjoy your evening sweetheart i'll talk to you later mm-hmm. we've done that right so we're insanely patient when it comes to that and that means we're insanely patient when it comes to introducing our kids mm-hmm. um so my thing was let's introduce them through D. okay I'd set it up where there are these two brothers. One is a ranger. One is a fighter. The ranger is is very religiously based, um, but he is okay. a monster hunter. The fighter uh, has a really big spear that he uses, and he goes in and kicks the shit out of monsters. And sometimes they separate. And recently they've separated, and they've each taken on a couple other adventurers. My kids... And her kids plus her. Uh, okay. The fighter's name is Dean, and the ranger's name is Sammy. I see what you did there. Yes. Okay. Um, oh, great, right? Um, yeah, and yeah. and I need to find a way to steal that. Absolutely. Oh my god. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So, and and what you could do is have them be the insert that guides you through, you know, yeah. gets you through yeah. the levels you need to to then go into. Okay, well, mm-hmm. you know, 
Sammy, looks like our dad needs us. We have to go, but can you guys handle this dungeon? Boom, done. So you took them to like level mm-hmm. three or four, and then you dump yeah. them off yeah, right yeah. at the foot of the dungeon. So easy. But Dean has been guiding my kids. Sammy has been guiding uh, my partner and her kids. All is great. Motherfucker. Sammy died in the last adventure. What? Died. Yes. I did not think that would happen either. Um, but because one of the kids, the CR, uh, I didn't, I didn't. (laughs) What happened was one of the kids, uh, again, you know, they're, they're brand new at it. Yeah. So I'm not going to say he's sub-optimized, but he played a skirmisher who essentially ran in and didn't skirmish. Um, and they were attacking a werebore. And the werebore charges and they're all level one and the werebore charges yeah. and, and, and so on. So, and unfortunately he failed his death saves and he, uh, and then he got brought back up because Sammy healed him. Right. Or no, no, no. Uh, my, my partner's, uh, character healed him. And so okay. back okay. up. Okay, cool. Well, the werebore, uh, like is attacking other people and, um, then charges him again. And just crumples him. And I rolled really high on the hit. Mm. And just crumpled him. Meanwhile, Sammy's downstairs. Because, by the way, our werebore needs silver. And nobody had any silver on them. Because everybody had like 10 gold starting. Mm. Um. So, you know, DM magic to the fact that you could, you could melt down a silver coin. And, you know, pour it very poorly over this rapier. And yeah. uh, it'll be harder to hit, but like, you know, once you yeah. do, it goes in like butter, right? Um, So Sammy tries to get past the werebore to run back upstairs because he does the math of realizing, oh, God, there's somebody upstairs still because he was the la- he was the last one to come down mm-hmm. and thought yeah. that the, the monk was right behind him. Monk wasn't right behind him because he'd been smashed by mm-hmm. El-, El Tusky. Um, and so Sammy goes to run upstairs to, uh, to heal him and he failed his, uh, his death save succeeded once failed a second time, succeeded a second time. And so I was like, okay, here's the round. And Sammy gets killed. Oh shit. On the, yeah. Cause of the attack of opportunity. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, okay, it's no big deal. My partner's a druid. She's got healing magic, right? No, that was her second spell. Oh shit. And I miscalculated that. Yeah. And so what happened was we had a half party TPK. So the mm. NPC died and yeah. uh, her youngest son's child uh, character died, which I think is probably going to be a blessing in disguise anyway, because uh, I think he prefers barbarian types. Okay. Well, there but you go. Sammy's fucking dead. And so I'm sending them to an inn run by a woman named Helen. Uh huh. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, as if I'm, I'm going to say, as uh-huh. if being dead ever kept either of the Winchester brothers down, right, for very long, like, right. you know. So, but yeah, I, uh, I, I killed Sammy for good. Uh, so, um, well, you know, at least you didn't just, you know, impale him on a, on a, you know, spike in a barn somewhere. No, no, that's something I'm saving because that would have sucked. That yeah. would have been stupid. At you the know. same time, I'm okay with somebody like we absolutely need to do a supernatural series of episodes. Um, I am yeah. perfectly okay with dying in a mundane way on a hunt 
Like it's, mm, it's yeah, way to end a series, and it's something that they had hinted at yeah. for a long time. Like I'm cool with that. Like that's how yeah. hunters go. It, it, that that never bothered me, to be honest. There are other things mm. that bothered me, but that that did not. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that's fun. Um, yeah. Speaking speaking of shows and movies, uh, did you ever yes. watch yes, yes. Uh, Idiocracy? Yes. Okay. And now that it's 2023, I'm going to date this recording. Yeah. Uh, now that yeah. it's 2023, have you heard the yeah. phrase? I didn't think Idiocracy was supposed to be a documentary. I have. Okay. I have heard that. I may have even said it a few times. I yeah, I think you yes. having said it. I <laughs> really I just rewatched that movie. Okay. And tonight we're going to talk about Idiocracy. Okay. Now to get to Idiocracy, of course, I have to set the clock back quite a bit. Um, you know what a portmanteau is? Okay. Uh, portmanteau is when uh, two words get mashed up together uh, in order to create a new word. Good, good. So, for instance, if you were going to uh, create a portmanteau that means good creation, but using ancient Greek, do you know what word you you come up with? Uh Oh, no. Eugenics. Oh, no. And in the 1800s, people loved those kinds of portmanteaus. And so to get to idiocracy, we're going to have to talk about the eugenics movement in the United States in the 1800s. Um, so I hope you're drinking. Um, I am. I am. I was, I was, I was happy drinking, um, yeah. up until about 30 seconds ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, okay. The research right, so... for this particular episode led me to taking a depression nap and I've never done that before. Um, wow. So... <laughs> it's it's awful you'll get there all um, right so anybody who's listening uh find a drive-through daiquiri place um load up uh and then get, keep driving get I to louisiana yeah get to louisiana now there you go so find a drive-through daiquiri place yeah uh so eugenics mean is, uh, is from a greek term called good creation uh or that means good creation it, mm. it is a portmanteau that they loved in the 1800s and it's essentially yeah. how to arrange reproduction within a human population to select for the characteristics uh, regarded as desirable via genetic inheritance. Okay. So to get to eugenics, we actually have to go all the way back to ancient Greece, which uh, this might be the furthest back that I've had to reach for something. Um, I think it is. I, yeah. Uh, especially Wait, well, for this distance, because yeah. like, I've talked about ancient shit. So yeah, that's not, yeah, the same. but, but that, that has been when you've been, you know, talking yeah. about specific texts or, right. Yeah, I know for, for, yeah, as a, as a, we're, we're going to have to roll the way back machine in order for you to understand this concept. Bring your quarters, this, German. Yeah, uh. this, this is a, this is a new, this is yeah. a new record for sure. Yeah. Okay. So uh, specifically, we got to go to Plato, the philosopher and professional wrestler. Um, in, in his promo, The Republic, uh, Plato advocating killing children and infants, which, Still sounds like a wrestling promo. Quote, yeah. uh, I kind of want to do this as Macho Man Savage. So. Uh, you know, I, I I was half expecting it. I, I can't, considering what awful this yeah. is about yeah, to yeah, pop yeah. out. Uh, Plato, in one translation, Plato says, the offspring of the inferior and any of those of the other sort who are born defective, they will properly dispose of in secret 
so that no one will know what has become of them. That is the condition of preserving the purity of the guardian's breed. End quote. So he's talking about there are going to be people who's who are who are bred to guard and safeguard the republic. And there are people who are going to specialized jobs. And he says, All right, you're gonna have to kill off the defective children. Um, because according to Plato, there are gold souled people, right? So you have a golden soul. Um, and the problem with that is that gold sold people could still produce bronze sold children. And that is bad for the purity of the ruling class. Okay. So now a couple of questions I want to ask here in regard sure. to this. Yeah. <clears throat> because context is, context is important. I have yeah. not, I have not read that part of Plato. Mm-hmm. So when he is talking about guardians, first mm-hmm. of all, is he, is that a term for a, cause I, I do know that in the Republic, he, he kind of advocates for something similar to kind of a caste system that, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be the ruling class. There's going to be, you know, right. in the ideal societies there, you know, there's going to be uh, rulers and workers and soldiers and, you know, when he says the guardians, is he specifically talking about like the physical guardians of his republic, no, or is he this, talking about the the ruling class who are safeguarding the yeah. traditions and the values and the whatever all? Option B. This is the, okay. the the cast from which you will select your philosopher kings. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. so that's that's question number one. Yeah. And now question number two. Mm-hmm. Within the context of the ancient world, yes, this was not this would not have sounded as horrifically barbaric and inhumane to ancient ears as it does to us, right? Because I know, for example, one of the 12 one of the laws off of the 12 tables of the Romans mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, if, if a child is born with a with a birth defect, right it shall be killed. And, and, you know, when I, when I talk to my kids about, you know, the ancient Romans and emphasizing Mm -hmm. they were not nice people, um, that's not a, well, you know, you as the head of the family, if you, if you wind up, you know, having a child who has a birth defect, you may do this. It was no, 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 no. You have a responsibility to Rome Mm -hmm. to do this. Um, so then it was, it, that was from table four, if I recall correctly, because that yes. one's dealing with the the rights of familial heads, yeah. and that implies responsibilities as well. Yeah, yeah. So, um, since since the Romans since the rest came chronologically, hmm? since the rest of it was mostly about debt, and 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 yeah. that one specifically spoke to, if I recall correctly, the term dreadfully deformed. So okay. Claudius was fine. He okay. famously was known for having a clubbed foot, although that could yeah. have been later, whatever, but yeah. dreadfully deformed. So, and okay. I believe that drinking wine was good for everything. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So, yes. so, you know, um, so then, so then based on that, mm-hmm. the, he was pushing the Overton window uh, on on something that kind of was a thing already I, in ancient society. I think if you live in a society wherein infanticide is a sometimes necessary component for families mm-hmm. because starvation is a very real thing, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and because exposure is sometimes, I mean, it's shit. How much, how many mythologies do we have where a baby's abandoned? Right. Yeah. So where infanticide is a viable option and sometimes considered to be a good option. I think this isn't so much pushing the Overton window as it is the logical extension of this practice. Okay. So naturally you would want yeah. gold sold people to only raise gold sold children. Okay. And and yes, gold sold people will make the occasional bronze sold person. Um and so so now I have another question. Mm-hmm. How when 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 Plato came up with this, mm-hmm. when he's talking about gold sold, bronze sold. Mm-hmm. There's also silver sold, of course. Yeah, I I figured there probably yeah. would be. But um when he's talking about these distinctions, mm-hmm. Does this then tie in with the ancient Greek idea that beauty and virtue were synonymous with one another and something that was disfavored by the gods could not be ugly. And so if something was not beautiful, then it was biological extension disfavored by the gods. So you could tell that you'd had a bronze sold baby because, well, look at the size of the head on that thing. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Um, yes. So, okay. And, and in his Republic, Mm -hmm. another question, you were going to be choosing your philosopher Kings from among the golden sold. Right. Was there any acknowledgement that a golden sold child might be born to silver or bronze sold parents? Oddly enough. No. Okay. It only works its way down. It's only a degenerative thing. It's not a generative thing. It's, it's, that's kind of what I anticipated, but you know, all right. Take Plato with an entire salt lake because while he was really good at writing, he also, you know, said that man was a plucked chicken. I might've just read Diogenes. Um, but anyway, (laughs) which by the way, I still think Diogenes is the perfect name for a dog. Um, (laughs) yeah. 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 Um, unless unless you're carmen communist, then your dog's name should be Carl Barks. Yeah. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But I get I get the idea. I get this thing about the gold soul and the silver soul and the bronze soul. Mm. What tickles me about it is how fucking dumb it is because bronze is the only one that's not an element of those three. And bronze is considered the strongest when it comes to making tools and weapons out of those three. It's the most. Well, yeah. Um, Which kind of says something about this. Like to me, you're telling on yourself without realizing it because they didn't, they didn't necessarily get it the way we do, but it tells on itself immediately because it's like, Oh, we don't want things mixing. Well, why not? Well, cause then they won't be pure. Well, then they'll literally be weaker. Like I'm looking at you (laughs) purebred dog lovers. Um, which uh, yeah. means that I, as a former pug owner, I'm really looking at myself uh, <laughs> hard. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> <but> like, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think, um, there's, there is some xenophobia involved in that. Absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously we also have to recognize as, as we say that about them, we have to recognize that, the context in which you and I as, you know, Westerners living in the 21st century talk about yes. racism is, is a completely alien kind of paradigm 
yes. from from what what the Greeks would have looked at. You know, if if Plato had used a term like race, he he would have meant like the difference between his own people and the Macedonians. You yeah, know, or he and, would have called them know, different nations. If he was talking yeah. race, he would talk about the difference between his people and the Titans. That's true. You know, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, but you're you're absolutely right. Like, well, and that's the that's the thing. I, you know, people say, Oh, damn, you're being so presentist, you know. And I'm like, Yeah, we live in the present. Like, I love studying the past. I learned a dead language for it. Like, <laughs> I think my bona fides speak for themselves, but um, at the same time. We live now, and and if shit from the past doesn't work anymore, let's not shoehorn it or like appeal or, to it. Or let's or, say it had its day. Let it move on. Yeah, I I don't think we should work to. We should be careful about roman about the tendency to romanticize. Yeah, and forever and, we, and perpetual prescription. Yeah, yeah, um, and you know, funny for me as a Catholic to say that, but. Mm-hmm. You know, there is there's a difference. Uh, there's there's a great analogy when when you talk about tradition. There's a there's a great analogy. Uh, there are there are two ways of looking at tradition. Mm-hmm. You can look at tradition as uh, tending to a flame mm. and keeping a flame alive. Sure. Or you can approach tradition as worshiping the ashes. Ooh. I like, um, and, uh, shout out cause there's, there's a great song built around that analogy by, uh, the longest Johns, um, back that ash up nice, yeah. but no, um, um, and I can't remember the, what, which part of the phrase they, they, I think the title of the song is just ashes. Okay. And you know, I'll, I'll tend to the flame. You can worship the ashes, um, nice. is the, is the ending line of each chorus so tradition could give you something back or it could just remind or, you of the state that it used to be in yeah or or yeah. yeah you can you can approach it as as something to keep alive what's valuable in it and see it as a as a as a living continuity or you can see it as like you said see view it and treat it as proscriptive and right. well you know they, we did this this way forever and and so this is just like and no it served us yeah. Like, yeah, but it doesn't yeah, yeah, but it's like we're not living in the Bronze Age anymore. Like, you know. Um, and and so I think, yeah, when we're when we're looking at practices from as far back as the ancient world, it's important to recognize that, you know, in that society, even as as you were just talking about a minute ago, like in a society where everybody is is living on, you know, the razor's edge of uh, you know, scarcity. Mm-hmm. You know, infanticide doesn't look like such a such a cruel thing, right? When when the options are everybody starves or we we have to do this terrible thing sure. that we don't that we don't want to do, but like you know what what are our options? Trolley problem In, without the trolley. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Yeah, basically. And so it's 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 a very it is presentist of us mm-hmm. to attach a uh, moral judgment to the people that did it in those circumstances. Sure. But it is not presentist for us to say it is abhorrent and inhumane to us. 
if that makes yeah. sense. I would, I you know? would, I would go this way with it. It is yeah. that first part that you said, absolutely. Like we okay. ought not judge people living in a culture at a time in which that philosophy worked for that culture. Yeah. I would also say, judge the hell out of that philosophy as it would apply to yours. Yes. As it would apply to your culture. And I'm yes. perfectly fine with saying, no, you know what? That tradition deserves to be in the ash bin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, totally uh, fair. You could add a little water, make that ash dough. So in Laws by Plato, uh, he mm -hmm. also advocated for state-controlled breeding between partners to limit their number. Because of course he did. Uh, quote, the women inspectors shall enter the houses of young people and, partly by threats, partly by admonition, stop them from their sin and folly. If they cannot do so, they shall go and report the case to the law wardens, and they shall prevent them. If they also prove unable, they shall inform the state council. So I, I do like this levels of government. You know, you've got local, and then you've got municipal, and then you've got state uh, okay. to stop people from fucking. And it's if these are people who are deemed inappropriate to make babies or if they've already made a defective baby, you know, and I'm using their concepts, not mine mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. And it wasn't just Greece that had city states that were in favor of killing infants who exhibited what they saw as to be defects of birth. Uh, obviously, the Spartans are the most famous of this. Yep. Um, and that'll bring us forward to Germany in the 1800s, which is not comfortable. Um Wow, that's yeah. quite a leap. It is, but I just wanted you to see, like, this is the, the classical literature that these people in the 1800s are reading right, and right, are right. pulling from and are justifying based out of, right? Yeah, and when we are when we move into the 1800s, this, this set of ideas is coming up again in the context yes. of nationalism. Yes. And if we're talking about Germany, we, we have to talk about, you know, the war of German unification. Right. And statecraft. You know, and statecraft and, and all. Of... And the iron and mm -hmm. the soil and all yeah. of that that ties into it. Um, yes. And also we have in Germany, you have a, a high degree of very educated people. Mm -hmm. And what do we know about smart people? The first thing they ever do is convince themselves that they can't be wrong. So, <laughs> and then you add <laughs> Germanness to that. And yeah. uh, so you get a guy like Ernst Heinrich Philipp August Heichel, um, who, you know the names? Yeah. Um, Ernst Heinrich Philipp August Heichel. Uh, how is the last one spelled? H A, well, just like it sounds uh, H A E C K E L. Okay, not yeah. not who I was thinking it might be. Oh, okay. okay. That name I am not familiar with, okay, but. Cool. He praised the Spartans for infanticide specifically. He's like, they oh, fucking geez, knew what was up. Um, he, was, he was a famous at his time zoologist from Prussia, which then turned into Germany. Uh, okay. See, you hit on something I was going to bring up uh, is, okay. So if we're talking about all these, all these educated people in Germany uh -huh. uh, during, during unification, I think it's important to, to contextualize that, like so many of these people are all Prussians. Yes. Like the proportion of them that we're going to talk about who are specifically Prussians. Yes. Because the thing is, um, for, for hundreds of years before this, going back four centuries, 
um, everybody else in Europe looked at the Germans mm-hmm. who were not a unified group of people because the, the, the Holy Roman Empire was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. And it was made up of all of these tiny little, little fiefdoms. Right. Um, you know, and, uh, whether you're talking about Saxony or Bavaria or I'm trying to think of Pomerania. any of the other names. Yeah. yeah. Pomerania, you know, uh, Alsace, Lorraine, mm-hmm. you know, whichever, whichever part of the Holy Roman empire you're talking about, everybody looked at him and went, Oh yeah, well, they're the Germans as this, as this linguistic group. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But not a but not a unified nation, and and they all had this reputation as being the barbarian lunatics of Europe, and they were never going to get their shit together, right? Um, you know, and like the Landesnechts were some of the most uh, uh, respected and feared infantry on the continent, but a big part of their reputation was they were fucking crazy. They were these big, tall, burly German guys who just basically didn't fear anybody. Sure. And and that that was kind of part of the German mystique and kind of the the reputation they had. And then all of a sudden you get into a later a later period. You start moving into the 1700s into the 1800s and successive rulers of Prussia decided, "No, you know what? Um we we're going we're going to build a nation out of this." And in order to do that, we need to not be the crazy men of Europe anymore. No, no, we are all going to get totally anal retentive, cut the butter square, you know, uh, and and educate the shit out of everybody we can within Prussia. And so the modern reputation that Germans mm-hmm. have, and everybody talks about, you know, German engineering, it's Prussian. It's all Prussian. If you if you look historically at Bavarians, that's not no, mm-hmm. that's not that's not who they were. Anyway, sorry, rant. No, no, it's fine. Rant over. Well, but also, you know. uh, the 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 grim. We have to do this for the good of the nation. Also comes from that too. Um, oh, very much. The, yeah. The, uh, thank goodness we have dark souled people who can 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 kind of throw themselves on the bonfire that will keep the rest of us warm by massively exterminating other groups of people that'll be important in the 1920s but anyway back to heichel uh he all right was yeah yes uh, no carry on okay Sorry. uh he was a big fan of charles darwin's and he popularized darwinism for germanic consumption uh in fact uh on his way back from the canary islands uh heichel um mm. which was his version of the galapagos he visited Charles Darwin, who was staying in Kent. Okay. Now, Heichel saw the social sciences as applied biology, because he's a zoologist. Because, because so many fucking people did during that time period. Well, and and again, this is why I'm okay being a presentist, because they yeah. were wrong. Yeah. Um, I get how they got there. Uh, he favored the Lamarckian approach to zoology, despite the fact that he admired Darwin. So he's like, no, Darwin's got some good ideas, but... Because at that time, Lamarck was the uh, he Lamarck essentially posited the idea that evolution did indeed happen, but it happened via changes to the parent organism over their lifetime. So the easiest example is a giraffe is made to stretch its neck uh, that stretches its muscles. It grows its neck over time. And that elongation and that need 
uh, and the response to that need will then pass on to the children, starting them with a longer neck than their parents started with, and so on. It doesn't work, but I could understand intuitively why mm-hmm. you think that, right? Well, it's it's intuitively, it's the evolutionary equivalent of believing that the sun goes around the earth. On some levels. Well, um, I mean, you yeah, know, I yeah, mean, based on you painting with this, a broad brush, yeah, you know, yeah. 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 So the thing was, Heichel didn't see his approach as actually conflicting with Darwin's either, but rather a continuation of it. He said, look, if we combine Lamarck and Darwin, it means that evolution didn't have to be random and unguided by humanity. In fact, humanity could guide it. And animal husbandry leads you to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we've had 5,000 years of agriculture by that point, right? Or 7,000. Heichel actually combined this with something called the Roma. This is German. Uh, Romantische Natural Philosophie. Romantische Natural Philosophia. That, which okay. is an idea put forth by uh, Friedrich Wilhelm Josef von Schelling. These people and their fucking names. Uh, anyway, essentially, <laughs> let's let's anglicize it. Nature, nature philosophy, or philosophy yeah. of nature. Right. Yeah. Take your pick. Um, what it was was German idealism mixing with nature, similar to how the Ionian philosophers of ancient Greece, who predated Socrates and believed that everything was both alive and able to change from one form to another, since all matter was alive and essentially the same. Therefore, the nature philosophy people, uh, adherents like Friedrich Wilhelm Joseph von Schelling, we're trying to explain nature in its totality as one thing, this unified field theory of nature, right? And all things yeah. change, all things live, all things breathe. Um, and on some levels, I could understand uh, somebody, again, in the 1800s, grabbing onto that. Um, and from this, they could generate a general theoretical structure for how all organisms behave. Okay. If I see what they're aiming at. I think they're off the mark. Obviously, I've got you know, uh, 200 plus years of work since then that I could draw on to point out why they didn't. Yeah. Now, this meant then that once such a thing was understood, according to Heichel's approach, that humanity could then guide and pick and choose how nature did its thing. Again, he's a zoologist. Again, I would bring up agriculture, animal husbandry, botany, all of those things prove that humans can in fact interfere with the genetic uh, and do some genetic tinkering uh, with creatures great and small with uh, plants great and small now in the late 1800s and early 1900s this approach to zoology uh, and biology uh, and then social sciences could certainly be exciting to certain Germans 20 something years down the road from what these guys were doing because mm. these guys are getting going really big in like yeah, around the turn of the 20th century. And while his works were co-opted by propagandists later down the road uh, from a certain National Socialists uh, Workers Party. Angle. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, he actually was out of favor with them because he uh, Heichel, Heichel uh, acknowledged the contribution of educated and presumably upper class uh, Jewish academics to German culture. Mm. okay so heichel also called the great war the first world war in europe Uh, oh wow okay he's the first one to use it he actually called it that in 1914 he said quote there's no doubt 
that the course and the character of the feared European war will become the first world war in the full sense of the word. All right. Yeah. Of course, he also thought that different human ethnicities were different species or offshoots of different species. And uh, this was obvious to him in language differences. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's one of those like, wow, that was a really deep fly ball you hit. It went foul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here, here's what he says about language. Quote, this is this is Heichel. Um, we must mention here that one of the most important results of the comparative study of languages, which for the Stammbaum, Stammbaum is German for family tree, uh, of the species of men is of the highest significance, namely that human languages probably had a multiple or polyphyletic origin. Human language... Okay as such, probably developed only after the species of speechless Urmenschen, or Affenmenschen, this is another word for ape men, had split into several species or kinds. So he's it just, I'm going to break in here. So human language developed after we split into different kinds of apes. So ape men. Okay. Right. Yeah. All right. Back to him. With yeah. each of these human species, language developed on its own and independently of the others. If one views the origin of the branches of language as the special and principal act of becoming human and the species of humankind as distinguished uh, according to their language stem, then one can say that the different species of men arose independently of one another. Okay. So, but one of the primary tests... Mm -hmm of of species being specified mm -hmm. speciated right is can they produce mate viable offspring and produce viable offspring right and anybody who has witnessed sailors like yeah. throughout human history right and and their effect on genetic diversity right um, you, you can't try to argue that Europeans and Asians and Africans are separate species because if you give humans the opportunity to fuck each other, they're going to fuck and they're going to have children, right? Who are then going to go on to have children and have children. And right. like you're, <laughs> you're selectively ignoring one of your, one of your own kind of key principles. It is very blind spotty. It is like, very like, it, it's like, he's like, no, it's all about language. And he just throws on the blinders to hyper-focus on this language thing. And he's like, look, languages are different and they develop in different places. And these people all look different and therefore they must be different species. And it's like, bro, what about them fucking? No, I'm looking at their language. And that's, and like, I think that again, very smart people convince themselves that they're very yeah. right. Yeah. Well, and, and, and they, and and in the early 1900s, mm -hmm. um, nobody had done any kind of uh, the, the concept of implicit bias, right? Was like didn't even hadn't hadn't been considered yet. It didn't exist. Which is wild because his next quote is going to have a lot of proof of that. Um, okay, so just to just to uh, qualify what he said previously. Again, we have different languages that proves we come from different species because they developed right. in parallel uh, but independent tracks of each other. Okay. Um, so to him, there's no PIE. There's no Proto-Indo-European language, right? 
It's it's there were the ancient Greeks, there were the Chinese, and they're clearly from different species of ape. Okay, yeah, that's his thing. So he's like, okay. we all stopped being the same a long time before this, right? Um, which means that if you recombine these groups, by the way, and he thought this that yes, we would fuck and all that. Um, and if you put Greek people with Chinese people with British people, uh, with German people, the fittest will obviate themselves. Okay. Now, you want to know which ones he thought were the fittest? Here it comes. Quote, oh, the Caucasian or Mediterranean man, Homo Mediterraneus, uh, has from time immemorial been placed at the head of all the races of men as the most highly developed and perfect. It is generally called the Caucasian race, but as among the varieties of the species, the Caucasian branch is the least important. We prefer the much more suitable appellation of Mediterraneans. So, <laughs> just real quick, how lucky that uh, all the the stuff that he's read the history of turns mm -hmm. out there at the head of the table. Yeah, back to him. Yeah, for the most important varieties of the species, we are which are moreover the or sorry for the most important varieties of this species that is Mediterranean, which are moreover the most eminent actors in what is called universal history, first rose to a flourishing condition on the shores of the Mediterranean. This species alone, with the exception of the Mongolian, has had an actual history. It alone has attained to that degree of civilization which seems to raise men above the rest of nature. Okay, wait. <laughs> Hold on. Hold yeah. on. Yeah. So so he's saying, mm -hmm. if I'm interpreting that right, mm -hmm. that that this 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 particular subspecies of human. Mm -hmm. which he just happens to be part of, um, is the only one to have developed history. Yes. You caught that. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, the, the part of that that I find most interesting, again, is mm -hmm. there is, like, yes, he is, he is telling on himself so obviously about his implicit biases. Like, that's... Wow, he's, he's writing for other people with the same bias to read. Them. Well, yeah, this obviously, smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, that's it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Du kannst um, es <laughs> But for yes, but, have some. So. Yeah, <laughs> but but this this uh completely ignores uh -huh. what European academics already like some European academics. Mm -hmm already knew to be factual about the middle east egypt egypt <laughs> the obvious like, the obvious example the yeah. egyptians yeah um and and china all For he had to do sake. was to go to the british museum yeah and see and all the shit they'd it. stolen from everybody and he'd right. see like yeah. but but by this time we knew uh uh scholars knew about the rosetta stone yes so, like, I mean, number right there, like yeah. on on the on the on the you know front doorstep of Mediterraneo, right? Europe. Well, and he would say that's the Mediterranean influence on Northern Africans. Like, you know, it's it, you're gonna you're gonna paint the target after you've shot the arrow. Oh yeah, well, of course, but yeah. like, also, if he mm -hmm. if he'd gone to the British Museum, he'd have found, I think, by that time, uh, bronzes. Mm -hmm. from china mm -hmm. 
And perhaps even, I don't know, I don't know if they discovered any of this stuff, but, um, you know, uh, uh, evidence of the Chinese having writing going back to 2000 BCE. Oh, like the, the turtle the, shell. The cre- yeah, yeah. Yeah. The turtle shells with, with yeah. divination marks on like, yeah. no, bro. Like you're, you're, you're making this statement that is, he would have just blatantly straight up said, incorrect. He would have said, yeah, but they use pictures that doesn't count as words. It's like those pictures literally count as words. Those pictures like, were <laughs> literally pictogram, it's, pictogram. Yeah. It's no. right there in the word that European academics came it, up with to describe yeah. it. Yeah, it's it's even but he's a from zoologist. It's, he's not interested uh, in history. He's interested <laughs> in biology, and he well, understands biologically you know, that. This okay, is no, you don't. Okay, you know what? No, no, <laughs> that's kayfabe. That's bullshit. That's me doing kayfabe. Yes, but yeah, I think yeah. He, I, well, I know he but, believed his own kayfabe. I yeah, think. Well, yeah. I think he believed that he was. I'm the sure he did. Warrior. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Yeah, but you know the thing is, you don't. You, uh, the the thing that continually staggers me whenever we wind up talking about any any of this shit from from this time period mm. and since is the extent to which, um, the the level of intellectual dishonesty mm-hmm. involved in pushing any of this shit is just so intense. Yeah. You know, like, and, and, and because of the fact that it fed into preconceived notions, which nobody had, had the vocabulary to, to describe, you know, mm-hmm. implicit bias. Um, everybody just fucking lapped it up mm-hmm. when, in a in a later era, we look at it and we're like, well, okay, but if you apply your own rules of rhetoric and logic to it, it falls apart like wet tissue paper. Sure. But anyway, sorry. Yeah. I no, had to no. I had to vent on that. But all all good and true. Uh, anyway, uh Heichel's biggest contribution to science was <laughs> that he divided humanity into ten races. Uh and it was a hierarchical um, list. Yeah, of course were on top, of course. And yeah. black-skinned folks were on the bottom because, according to Heichel, they had the most opposable big toes of all the races. Wait, but his whole argument before was based on language. No, no, that language also helps prove it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Remember, he okay. is first and foremost a zoologist. A zoologist, yeah. So he also believed that Lemuria was a real place, that the the continent that was supposed to have sunk in the Indian Ocean, he thought that right. was real, and that humanity started in Central Asia, which is an idea that later would support the idea of Arianism, uh, yes. which is awesome. Uh, essentially, his theories and his background in science gave rise to proto-fascist fantasies about the natural state of humanity and what forms of government should best guide us as a species. So, so Haeckel, Heichel. Or you say it. I'll say Heichel he, because that's the Latinist in me. Okay. Yeah. So so Heichel came up with the ideas that gave rise to the racist that that, that got distilled into the racist ideology of the National Socialists. Mm-hmm. But he himself was not sufficiently extreme. Right. Has to stay on the good side of right. the National Socialists. Yeah. So he essentially gives them intellectual cover in a lot of okay. ways. 
without okay. realizing it. He doesn't know. Yeah, well, yeah. He like yeah. most are dead by the 1920s. Um Okay. But uh but on to more modern versions of eugenics. So Charles Darwin took a boat to the South Pacific. He studied birds and he ate turtles and he wrote a book about evolutionary pressure uh mm-hmm. which he preserved which he published in November of uh, 1859 titled on the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Authors back then loved their titles to be as long as German and Austrian names, apparently. Uh, in this book, Darwin argued that the populations of species evolve gradually over generations due to a combination of natural selection and inherited mutations to adapt to the pressures of natural selection. Or, as Herbert Spencer had put it, quote, survival of the fittest, end quote. By the mm-hmm. 1870s, the science communities all around the world accepted this theory as verifiably true, which was awesome for naturalists and fossil hunters. And I got to say, he pretty well nailed it. Darwin pretty well nailed it. Like, that. that mm-hmm. is that is the thing, right? Of course, many took it and ran as hard as they could toward applying it in the most brutal, oppressive, and racist ways they could, starting with a guy named Sir Francis Galton, a man who was half-cousins to Charles Darwin and the scion of a Quaker gun manufacturing family. Wait. (laughs) Yeah, I get a kick out of that, too. Gun manufacturers? Yeah. Quaker gun manufacturers. So to be a Quaker and a gun manufacturer you would only sell them to private citizens because selling them to a government they'd get used for an army? No, no, no. You like make money. So, yeah. Like, <laughs> wait. Whole, yeah. Speaking of intellectual dishonesty. <laughs> I I laughed for a while when I found <laughs> this out. Um, Galton himself was brilliant he could read by the age of two he could do long division by the age of five who knew he knew latin and greek and had left school at the age of 16 because it wasn't smart and open enough for him now some of that might be tall tales some of that might be a little bit of puffery but we have heard of people like this before um yeah and of course any person with a beginning like this is going to end up being a terrible person and a very influential person because that's what we do Okay. Galton, uh, he ended up, uh, and again, this this is uh, Sir Francis Galton. Um, he ended up studying medicine, mathematics, anthropology, sociology, psychology, meteorology, and statistics after his father died. Holy cow. He traveled the world. He explored other places that other people lived. He got all sorts of attention for it, like any other upper-class Brit would at the time. Uh, by the 1870s, uh, Sir Francis Galton had read all of his cousin's works, had plenty of overseas exploration experience, as well as encounters with people of different cultures. Naturally, this makes him an expert in all things evolutionary, like you do. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Mr. Galton, Sir Francis to his friends, uh, set out to determine if humanity, uh, if human ability was in fact hereditary using statistics and measurements. He started from a very biased point of view, wondering if the eminence and exceptionality of upper class families was in fact hereditary. Because look at his life. Uh, yeah. he, he is exceptional and talented and excellent. And the problem is, if those traits are largely cultural in their value and their quality and quantity. So 
it would be akin to asking if being good at politics is hereditary. Mm -hmm. So he's pushing for something called uh, historiometry, um, the study of human progress, which is its own assumption that really needs a lot of fucking interrogation. For instance, what do you mean by progress? Mm -hmm. You know, well, I mean, obviously, we mean the the state by which um, society wound up putting me on top. Right. Because that's obviously the natural order, and naturally, everything in history uh, was was working was was work yes was working toward this mm -hmm. goal. Yes, right. Now, what's going to happen afterward is probably going to be disappointing. Because fucking look at me, uh, yeah. Like, so yeah, it's it's the study of human or individual progress using statistics to analyze capabilities, genius, behavior, and all while an allegedly neutral setting. Um. So I love I I uh -huh. I applaud your allegedly. Oh yes, quite so. <laughs> Holy think, shit. Think like Billy Bean, uh his approach to baseball. Um, mm -hmm. you know, like uh I don't know if you saw the movie with Brad Pitt in it or if you mm. were an A's fan in the early two thousands. Um, I know enough about the movie to know what you're talking about. Okay. So like that approach to baseball, but instead of like how do we get a team with the lowest uh with the lowest salary cap. Role, yeah. yeah. The lowest payroll. How do we get that team into the to to the uh, postseason? Right. Yeah. Uh, so like that approach. But instead of that question, you're saying, "Why is my son such a perfect man?" Mm, wow. So so many, so <laughs> many, as you say, so many uninterrogated things going yes. on there. Like, <laughs> wow. Okay. So in 1869. <sighs> 10 years after the origin of the species and mm -hmm. all the other things that rival the, the length of a name of a, a German landed arist aristocrat during World War One, um, Galton published Hereditary Genius, uh, in which he argued that as soon as you looked beyond the first or second degree of a family's line, the number of exceptional or eminent relatives dropped off sharply. Now, that's probably because people didn't really raise their cousins and nephews that's probably yeah. because like but, well one people yeah. people didn't raise their their cousins and nephews two um somebody like galton mm -hmm. um i mean there there is some level of uh uh biology involved in the ability to learn to read at that kind of young age mm-hmm but with that said, if a kid um, has that biological ability, but does not have uh, parents who have the resources to nurture it, to provide the tutors, to do all of the, do, do, who don't have the time right. because they're busy working in the fields or acting as servants to some other family uh, or, you know, just working, you know, uh, if, if we're talking about, you know, descendants of aristocratic families, if they're just members of the bourgeoisie. Right. If all they're doing um, is putting their effort into luxury chickens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Baum. How are you doing? <laughs> um, but, but yeah, you you're know, absolutely right. Like, it, and, and that yeah. is like, the, it's interesting because that kind of comes around to the, nat the, the random selection of it all. Right. Yeah. Oh my God, you were born to be brilliant. Sorry that you got enslaved by Portuguese people. Yes. Now you're lying. Go. Like, now, yeah. Well, one, you there's or, that. Oh, you but, were born to be a moron, but 
sorry for the rest of us that you were raised by, you know, a German monarchy and now you're in yeah. charge of an entire country. Yeah. Like you you yeah. should have been the the night manager, the night assistant manager at a Foot Locker, but instead uh you won instead, the electric college. Instead you're <laughs> So you know yeah, and 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 the the intersection of, you know, natural inborn talent whatever that actually is right. with resources and privilege and everything else yeah like i mean obviously if you're born as the scion as of a noble family you're you're going to look at well you know once you get out you know past you know cousin level the number of exceptional people drops off well yeah because they didn't inherit the family fucking fortune dipshit right. they they weren't all like, raised with health care yeah <laughs> yeah you know sorry uh un- unlike unlike some people their parents had to work somehow for a right. living like you know yeah. um all their siblings didn't live yeah. you know like yeah yeah so yeah uh it turns out according to according to his research uh <laughs> all that happened um now he claimed that this was evidence that he was right about historio uh metry but that it also deserved better study, specifically using twins. Um, and so he developed questionnaires. He was big on questionnaires. And he collated that data and he published a paper in 1875 stating that further that stating that there was a further need to study adopted twins who ended up in different homes, and even twins who were adopted transracially, his word, not mine. Um, because even Dalton noted that one needed to take into account being raised in different homes by different related adults uh, would actually have an impact. And then this would help understand the drop off better. It doesn't okay. mean that he was willing to throw out the baby with the bathwater though. Uh, after all, there had to be genetic determinant factor as to why he and other upper-class Brits were in fact ex- exceptional. Here's the thing, a guy yeah. as smart as him, because clearly he was he was a genius mm-hmm. but a guy as smart as him mm-hmm. being surrounded by the landed gentry and and the people who were at that time gentlemen yes like like couldn't he just go to his gentleman's club and note how many fucking upper class twits he was surrounded by like in his social circle right yeah. The number of guys who were the eldest son of an ancient family dating back to, you know, before William the Conqueror. Right. But like the guy's a nitwit. Like like he's never like so many of yeah. these guys never had to work for a living. Right. Um never never had to think about anything beyond, you know, surface depth. Um I'm yeah. thinking of um Oh damn it! What what did his title wind up becoming? Uh, the the British king who who abdicated uh, to marry Wallace Simpson. Um, oh, uh, Edward George. It was George. Yeah, George seventh. Uh, I'm trying to remember what his what his title was after he after he left the throne. But yeah. he was famously inanely vapid and mm-hmm. empty headed in conversation. And for fuck's sake, he was at one time king of England. Yeah. Like the the very assumption that that this guy is coming from that well, you know, the the exceptional people you find are are in the, you know, the main line of descent of the most important families. Like how do you explain 
the vapidity of so many of your peers. Right. Like, yes, there were any number of landed gentry gentlemen who we look at now as the founders of many portions of modern scientific thought because they had the money and the time to devote to it mm-hmm. essentially as a hobby. Right. Um, But like for every one of them, there had to be 15 or 20 just complete idiots. Yeah. He seemed to, I, I, I wonder if that, that polite affect that you never actually mention. Mm-hmm. Um, the the utter shitty utter shittiness of yeah. of your peers. Yeah. Um, I wonder. Yeah. I genuinely wonder. Okay. So, anyway, from there, Galton would then go on to note that civilizations were inherently culturally based. Cool. Oh, okay. That Such kind of sounds like a tautology, but okay. It, well, uh, yeah. At the same time, like, yeah, a civilization is a culture it's not racial yeah like it's okay. not hereditary yeah, yeah. it is a, okay. it is a a set of things we do around here right okay yeah. uh, and those can change over time and that such cultural circumstances could in fact impact the reproductive success of a civilization in question this all meant that if done right a civilization could quote improve its race end quote by means of careful selection of reproductive pairings mm. Now, if this sounds familiar, it should. For Galton, it would also mean that his admiration of Sparta and their effort to do so by means of infanticide would come into play in his theories. Galton himself envisioned a more compassionate version of Sparta, at least at first. That's a low bar. It is. I mean, it is. As we talked about on this podcast, like the Romans were not nice people, the Spartans were fucking evil. Yeah, it's one of those of like, he's like, I like where you're going. I don't think you got you were going the right way to get there. Okay, so it's not. Yeah, it's not. (laughs) He takes issue with the infanticide. But like, you have to go that next step to be like, oh, but he still liked what their goal was. Um, Yeah, here's here's what he says in Hereditary Genius, quote, the best form of civilization in respect to the improvement of the race. I'm going to stop right there. That's called begging the question. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, evolution does not, and could ask your cousin, evolution does not promote perfection. It promotes adequacy, bare minimum adequacy to get over mm-hmm. the next hump. Now, yeah. I will also say Darwin didn't quite come to that. Yeah. But... But okay. Darwin Darwin would have argued that, you know, this isn't about perfection. This is about adaptation to circumstances. Right. right. Now he, he would not have gone to say the part about bare minimum adequacy, which no, that that's, that's gonna come later. That's absolutely yeah. gonna come later. But so so I'm not gonna hold Dalton entirely his feet entirely to the fire on that, but uh he and many like him said that you know the, the goal of evolution is to improve the the species, right? So back to this. Quote, uh, the best form of civilization in respect to the improvement of the race would be one in which society was not costly, uh, where incomes were chiefly derived from professional sources and not much through inheritance, where every lad had a chance of showing his abilities and, if highly gifted, was enabled to achieve a first-class education and entrance into the professional life. By the liberal help of exhibitions and scholarships, which he had gained in early in his early youth where marriage was held as in high honor as in ancient Jewish times 
where pride of race was encouraged. Of course, I do not refer to the nonsensical sentiment of the present day that goes under the, that name where the uh, that's him putting that in parentheses where the weak could find a welcome and a refuge in celibate monasteries or sisterhoods. And lastly, where the better sort of emigrants and refugees from other lands were invited and welcomed and their descendants naturalized. End quote. Okay. Wow. So many things happened in that quote. Yeah. First, um, he, he gained everything about his station in society through inheritance through inheritance and he's arguing against inheritance as a system because he also was exceptional to begin with yeah i mean it wouldn't have been his had it everyone who's exceptional should have had the same privileges he had that's his point on on the one hand part like that that feels like a double-edged sword. Like I'm looking at that. Like okay, merito- I'm okay with meritocracy. I like See, I I'm like not. this idea. I'm really well, not. Like, okay, and this is why because at yeah. the end of the day, he's saying that meritocracy is the reason for dignity. Okay, and, and to right. me that I, is okay. That is monstrous. Okay, but yeah, I'm I don't okay. The the part where he's tying it to dignity, I fully agree with, but, but well, the he, idea he is didn't, that he didn't directly tie it to dignity, but mm-hmm. he is saying that for people to be given the means by which to improve themselves, to make their lives better in any way, shape or form that okay. it, it has to be tied to meritocracy according to him, which means the rest of us are just fucked. Like he's only right okay. to the top 2%. Okay. Yeah. And the other thing is, since he's talking about this just occurred to me, bouncing this off of you since he's talking about these scholarships and these opportunities and exhibitions and whatever all uh, being secured in youth. He is, he is building in Mm -hmm. a level of ableism without realizing it. Yes. Um, Because in order to get the scholarships to get those opportunities, you have to be excellent early in life. Right which then points right back to the essentialism of his, well, this is all genetic argument in the first place. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Meritocracy by all means, but merit is the way of proving he's using, here's the deal. This is, this is, I I think what it comes down to when you, when you peel apart what he's doing, Mm -hmm. he's, he's not looking for, you know, meritocracy based on man, you busted your ass. Right. You know, he's not looking for meritocracy, you know, based on virtue. Right. None of that. He's looking for, he's looking at meritocracy based on some level of inherent, uh, naturalistic. Yes. Meaning it is part of your nature, uh, superiority. He wrote a hereditary genius. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and so the thing is he's, he's using, he's cloaking everything in this, in this meritocratic language, but it's still, it's still just the idea that, you know, there are chosen ones. Well, and that this you is know. you you got to the core of the problem that I have with meritocracy. Meritocracy is inherently ableistic. Mm. Like I it just is. Like, you know, the the whole thing with the SATs, uh yeah. you know, schools not requiring them. Oh God, what are we gonna do? I don't know, something not based on fucking eugenics. How about <laughs> that? Yeah. And you know, there's yeah. there's an argument that some dipshit tried to get me into on 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 the tiki talk and i just straight up said i'm like well clearly you and i have different priorities 
and I just left it there because I'm like, I don't need to engage you on somebody else's lawn. Yeah. About <laughs> like why the SAT is a problem. I can I can guess whose lawn you engaged him on, but I'm uh, not gonna... you'd be it, you'd be incorrect. Um, oh, I'll, I'll really? show you. Okay. I'll show All you right. off air. Yeah. Okay. But but anyway, yeah. The it, the, yeah. the idea of the SAT is like, oh well, you know, if they pass the test, I'm like, oh the test that you could improve your score upon if you just keep taking it what if you you know or if you get tutoring for yeah. or mm. you know any number of things that can up it which with, advantage with, the rich yeah linguistic like linguistic questions that are that are you know written by yeah and i'm not even from a bourgeois that. like yeah. yeah no there's yeah there's, there's so, so much, much shit wrong with the ACT and then you go back SAT. to its origin and its origin yeah. is actually probably let's see we're on page three so probably on page 16 um, okay. So Jesus, <laughs> gonna be another one of those. Well, you um, responding to every quote. So <laughs> so well, I mean, how can I not? How can you not? Um, yeah, like yeah. Um, and then there was so another yes, thing. Meritocracy is horseshit. Go on. Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> the song "Fuck the Tang" in the song "Dynasties." Like yeah. screw up, just into the ground. Yeah. Um. Well, and yeah, like it's, you look at him, and yes, as a matter of fact, at their time. They clearly worked, but they worked on the corpses of millions yeah. of peasants. Yeah. So I don't know and, that I would call that working. And, yeah. And, and, and over and above the ethical concerns we have. Um, right. Which strictly are from, which, well, yeah, but strictly from also, uh, let's actually look at the effectiveness of these governments. Right. Like, mm, and by um, the, way, the Tang and the Song Dynasties. They they're lower on my list than the other ones that I've studied in terms of like who who gets all the fire about this shit like oh yeah well, well yeah. yeah yeah um and then what was the what was the tail end of of that quote yeah it was long the uh, better oh immigrants of the better sort yeah well and the such, weak could such find, a great phrase he also even says where the weak could find a welcome and a refuge um. He's saying that let's not kill off the weak or anything like yeah. that. But where are they going to find it in celibate monasteries? Well, I mean, obviously we're not going to have no them reproducing. Like, right. come on, duh, right? You know, and so, sarcasm. Like, so, so no. well, obviously. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I just, just want to make sure. You know, erotic joy is not something. It's just not something for the unacceptable. Well, I mean, or for the wives of the exceptional, let's be real. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but <laughs> think of England and her philosopher kings, right? Um, like you know, but but that's the thing is like, and that's what I that's where I'm looking at the dignity is like who yeah. gets to fuck? Yeah, because saying that someone doesn't get to fuck because they're not smart enough to fuck is, I mean, I get that well, if you're a sapiophile, I get that. Yeah. Um, but if you're talking on a societal level. Yeah. That if you're unless you got an IQ at this level, you don't get to fuck. That's a removal of dignity. I'm sorry, no. Well, it's de it's literally dehumanizing. Yes, it is. It's taking away a critical part of the human experience. I mean, it literally is the definition of chattel, isn't it? Like controlling the reproduction. That's life. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. And then yes, where where the right kind of emigrants and refugees from other lands were invited like, and welcomed. Like, like holy cow. Wow. Right. Like, could you imagine yeah. if I got turned into like some sort of uh, immigration policy? Anyway, oh, uh, in yeah. 1883, mm -hmm. Fuck. Galton uh, introduced a new term to science in the introduction of his book, Inquiries into the Human Faculty, or Inquiries into Human Faculty and Development. So this is in the uh, introduction of his book. 
this quote, this books, this books is like uh, in in brackets. Uh, so this book's quote intention is to touch on various topics more or less connected with that of the cultivation of his of race, or as we might call it, with eugenic questions, and to present the results of several of my own separate investigations. Okay, so this is this is the codifier moment for yes. the concept. Okay. Yes. In fact, wow. in a footnote below this new term, Galton explained the term using all sorts of academic speech. Quote, this is with questions bearing on what is termed, uh, with questions bearing on what is termed in Greek, eugenes, name, or eugenes, namely good in stock, hereditarily endowed with noble qualities. This and the allied words, eugenia, etc., are equally applicable to men, brutes, and plants. We men, brutes, and brutes plants, and plants. Brutes. Yeah. In 1883, you know yeah. what happened in 1880? The Berlin Conference. You know what uh, Leopold said? Exterminate the brutes, like yeah. motherfucker. Uh, okay, so back to uh, yeah. brutes and plants. Quote: We greatly want a brief word to express the science of improving stock, which is by no means confined to questions of judicious mating, but which, especially in the case of man, takes cognizance of all influences that tend in however remote a degree to give the more suitable races or strains of blood a better chance of prevailing speedily over the less suitable than they otherwise would have had. The word eugenics would sufficiently express this idea. It is at least a neater word and a more generalized one than viriculture, which I once ventured to use. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Um just so much uh, wow. Yeah. I, I love mating. I love yeah. Make sure that like the good blood gets to continue and the yeah. bad blood tends to pool. Like just and wow. the and the the you know better betterment of betterment of the races, like you can mm. you can draw a straight line from that. Yes. To to Nazi ideology and actions. Yeah like wow which yeah the, and that's still a long ways off this is 1883 yeah oh yeah no i know but we're we're most of the this way is there still in england Jesus. yeah you know do we do we know so by 1883 mm -hmm. darwin was still around right at that point or had he passed already i think i know marx had just died okay um, and I just because of the research that I've done on on women's voting and Marx's yeah. daughter and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me think. Charles Darwin, he wrote in. Oh yeah, he does. He dies in eighty one or eighty two. Yeah. Cause okay. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I I can't help but wonder, mm -hmm. like, how much we know about his exposure to these kinds of ideas like obviously he wasn't there for the coining of the term eugenics right in this book but like his his looking at okay no that's not what i fucking said which of course he was he was far too far too gentle and um religious soul to to use that literal language 
Right. But 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 emotionally it would have been that's not what I fucking said. Right. That's not He didn't get out of the no. duty car. Yeah. 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 You know, um Well, Darwin would have just been like, What are you doing? I'm talking about birds and shit. Like <laughs> what are you what are you doing? I'm not talking about people. Right. Like people like, are way more complex. We're we're not we're, on the food chain. Like yeah. <laughs> doesn't count we anymore. Have, we have pulled ourselves off of the food chain. Yeah. Like literally by by sheer force of will over many right. thousands of years, we have managed to remove ourselves from the food chain. I'm not talking about us. Right. Yeah. So Galton developed his ideas into theory. <laughs> and that theory was that civilization, since its laws protect what he saw as the weakest among us, would eventually weaken the human race. So civilization is a weakening thing. Oh, wow. Him and Robert E. Howard would have gotten along famously. Uh-huh. Well, and a lot of people talk about how we need hard men, not soft men. Yeah. We need hard men. Yeah. We need men who are closer to brute than to civilized. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, this Caesar wrote about the same shit. He talked about how the uh the the, the Gauls they they engaged in what was it? Um, they they did not. Oh yeah, the Belgae were furthest away from civilization, and therefore they did not engage in the mercantilism that softened men, uh, such as civilization would. He talked about that. Fucking Alexander talked about it. In, oh yeah, in his well, propaganda about uh, Darius, like and and commentators commentators yeah. in in Dark Ages England. Yeah. Um, you know, after after the Romans left, when the when the Saxon kingdoms were at their height. Mm-hmm. Uh, commentators who admittedly were mostly religious, uh, but they they decried uh, the softness and effeminacy of mm-hmm. of Saxon nobles, and and yeah. like you know they've gotten they've they've all gone soft. Right. This this um, has been a forever complaint. I mean, you get the yeah. town mouse and the country mouse, and you've got this. Yeah. Like you know, so uh, I mean, fucking Hor- Horatius uh, uh, Horace wrote about yeah. this in his satires. Uh, so. Civilization weakens us uh, by necessity, and Galton would go on to claim that those with less intelligence were also more fertile. Now, this is, remember, keep in mind, this is back when people thought that the body was a closed energy system. So mm-hmm. the more you come, the softer your brain is. Um, Yeah. Uh, Now, this is going to, well, yeah. A closed system and a zero-sum game. Yes. Yes. So but... the more you fuck for pleasure the dumber you get. And in fact, Irish people were locked away in asylums at a much higher rate than anyone else in America for masturbation because it was assumed that the Irish married later and therefore weren't fucking and therefore had to be masturbating. Um, One. I know. Catholic. So marrying like later, like, but because they were so, they were Irish Catholic. They were really poor Catholics. And well, so yeah, you have to hold off. Yeah, and there was, I mean, Malthus had talked about that very specifically when he was talking mm-hmm. about the, mm-hmm. the the famine. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. So, so that like, informed American sanitaria policy. Yeah. Good so anyway, uh, yeah. th- this this particular aspect of fertility belonging to the dumber will matter a lot more when we start actually analyzing idiocracy. Um, So put a pin in this concept very specifically. 
Now, at this point, Sir Francis Galton clearly shifted his philosophical grounding from explaining a phenomenon to fixing a phenomenon and therefore fixing a problem like you do. And since he was an incredibly smart man with a lot of privilege based on the luck of his birth, it was very hard to convince him that he wasn't the most correct person in the room. Now, of course, this is going to lead to Galton creating the first attempt at a standardized test for intelligence, because why the fuck wouldn't it? Uh, He not only said that intelligence was hereditary and measurable, but which are those are their own problems independently. But he decided to glump them together, like combining peanut butter and pork chops. Uh, But that other things could also signal intelligence. For instance, a person's reflexes might signal intelligence. Or muscle grip, or my favorite, head size. When we talk about the movie, <laughs> I'm gonna come back to that. Okay. In 1883, Galton published his observations and correlations in an article or in a uh, paper titled "Inquiries into the Human into Human Faculty and Its Development." However, it should be noted that his efforts were, admittedly, even by him, fruitless. So he keeps like. Like, I'm going to see how fucking stupid this idea can be. And then he comes back. He's like, you know, it's kind of stupid. But because I chased it down, there's still something there, y'all. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, I'm going to um, I'm going to find meat on this bone. Right. You know, somewhere. Yeah. And he's like, well, yeah. I only found marrow, but there is protein there. You know, God, just like, dude, no. Yeah. Now, Benet and Simon or Simon uh, would then take the ball and run with it. Uh, setting up the Binet-Simon test, which is essentially the very precursor to the IQ test, which was originally meant to reveal a child's mental age, which would then help select out the kids who didn't meet the standard and get them removed from public schools and get them placed in asylum. That was the original use of the IQ test. Not just how smart are you, not just how smart are you as a fifth grader, not just that, but like, Determine your mental age, and if you're below a certain rank, you get taken out of the school because we need to triage this shit. Fuck. Yeah. Now, Galton's solution was actually somehow less awful than that. He said, selective breeding. Send them to schools, but then do it like you do with livestock. So and 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 here's why I say this is less awful than that, because he said, let's let's find a way to get smart folks to want to fuck more, like just really encourage the hell out of that. Like, you okay, know, you, you could do two things. You could tax what you don't want or you could subsidize what you do want. Right. OK. Yeah. So let's let's subsidize smart folks fucking. Let's make sure they go to smart folk fucking parties. Um. And he did say we do need to find ways to get dumb folks not to fuck so much too. Um, but he cared more about let's just drown them out in smart cum. Like let's just let's just hentai the breeding program. Let's just go. Um, and and he had evidence. Animal husbandry did prove that you could enhance and strengthen certain traits in that you desired in goats, dogs, cows, horses. So if you did it with humans, you could do the same. And there it's again, I, I I find myself understanding where he's coming from, because intuitively, if you have two tall parents, you have a kid who might play volleyball. Mm-hmm. Not always not always, but but more likely than not, if you if you got 
a hockey playing dad and a, a, a dancer white, uh, mom wife. I didn't say white, uh, a dancer wife, but a dancer mom. If you got those two, you might have a kid who gets to the NHL. You might. Yeah. More than if you have me, you know, um, And so, yeah. The, the so, thing is, though, if you've got the hockey playing dad and a dancer mom, then you've got a kid who is going to be enmeshed in physical activity as well. Yeah. But there might be certain physical traits that do pass on that yeah. advantage dad that might advantage son or daughter. Yeah. But maybe- the other the other thing is though, if you're if you're working on a system that then says, okay, well, we're going to subsidize this to make. You know, these people who, for reasons of IQ test or reflexes or whatever, we've decided these are the people we want fucking because we want to get children who have these traits and we're going to subsidize them. Right. We're going to, we're going to do all these things to encourage it and then make it, make it easier. And then, and then, and then because we've spent all this time getting these children born, we're then going to be throwing more resources at these kids you you're see, perpetuating the, yes you're you you are self-selecting mm-hmm. to perpetuate so like you you don't have any uh um sort I'm looking for objective way of knowing how much if of the, genes. yeah if if yeah. the if the kids that you're getting who are smarter you're right in air quotes smarter like, is that, is that because of genetics or is that because they're the ones that got all the fucking resources? Right. And like I mean, again, mm. human beings are different than animals, uh, partly because our generations last so long, partly because mm. our fertility is such a, a wide spectrum um, mm. and it's not lifelong. Um, yeah. There's and, and our fucking inf- infancy lasts like you got to raise a kid for like 15 years before they're, yeah. fucking, you know, yeah. and. Because I keep coming back to like, okay, well, look at where a lot of, you know, wrestling schools get started and it's in the Midwest. Why? Because that's where you've got a lot of kids who are already strong because they're working on farms. Why? Because they come from farming folk. Why? And on and on and on. And yes, you will look for a spouse that can give you those kinds of traits and those kinds of kids. But at the end of the day, if you got a kid who was born as skinny as my son and you put him on a farm from the age of three forward... He's going to bulk up. He'll have some shoulders by the time he's 16. Yeah. And so regardless of the genes. Yeah. He's going to. Now, will he be measurably less than a family that's been farming for eight generations? Yeah, that is possible. Mm -hmm. But will it be significantly measurably less so? Probably not. And then so now expand that into shit like that you can't test for shit that you can't really measure. Yeah. You you get the issue, right? Yeah. The, the variation is always going to be, um, a, a, a marginal thing out at the edges. Right. And, you know, if you really want to see a dramatic difference, you're going to have to be doing it for many, many, many generations. Mm -hmm. And even then, the the nurture side of it is still going to be a more powerful factor right than the nature part of it yeah um and and just complete side note but now that we've gotten deep into talking about eugenics sure um i am i am now into my second beer just <laughs> in this episode 
Yeah. Um, because dear God almighty. Yeah. Oh, and we haven't even fucked. gotten to the bad stuff. What? what? Yeah, you're gonna be drinking a lot for a few oh weeks. fuck. All so right. um in in Dal- in Galton's model, uh you can imagine how the Irish fared. Uh, as well, as... <laughs> well, hold on. Yeah. He's an aristocrat from England yep. in the late 1800s. Yeah, that doesn't take a genius to figure out how the Irish would fare. So the next sentence is, as well as anyone else who wasn't educated and upper class British like him. Uh, so, yeah, but the Irish especially. Yeah, and cause... of course, since head size and the obsession with the long Nordic skull was now a thing, chronology <sighs> would certainly help this theory along. Oh, um, no. Back to the introduction of hereditary genius, quote, I propose to show in this book that a man's natural abilities are derived by inheritance under exactly the same limitations as are the form and physical features of the whole organic world. Conse- so that just real quick breaking in, that goes back to Heichel and that belief in the natural philosophy, right? That that unified field theory of all organisms back to uh, to Galton. Consequently, as it is easy, notwithstanding these limit, those limitations, to obtain by careful selection of a permanent breed of dogs or horses gifted with peculiar powers of running or of doing anything else, so it would be quite practicable to produce a highly gifted race of men by judicious marriages during several consecutive generations, end quote. So he's looking at dog breeding. He's looking at animal husbandry. He's like, we could do this too. And... Again, could could you make that argument that over the next 200 years, that's 10 generations of breeding specifically for certain traits? Yeah, probably. But again, those traits are merely physical traits. And you could even like people breed dogs for temperament and all of that. But people completely control the culture in which dogs live. They control the kennels. They control the familial relations between dogs. They they take dogs out of place. Like, it's not just like, okay, and then you sent them into the forest and you bring them back every three years. No, you control yeah. every aspect. And unless you're going to do that, you're not going to get this. Now, Galton was intensely antipathetic to the average person. He disdained mediocrity and he thought that it should be avoided as much as possible. So you could see why I hate this man. Um <laughs> Galton's main driving focus in creating eugenics was, at its core, an attempt to further venerate the upper class in Britain, answering the question that the youngest of seven children who was prodigious in so many ways would really need answering. Quote, why am I so amazing? Yeah. And also, as the youngest, why do I also deserve my dad's love? Yeah. Yeah, well, there and by is the that. way, just just to you know point out the 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 futility of what what his ideas were. Joe Montana, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, correct? Yes. Do you know what his dad did? Not a quarterback, so it doesn't yeah, really well, matter. Like, yeah, yeah. The, the the one thing his dad did that really helped him become a good quarterback was he lied about Joe's age signed him up for something saying he was nine years old. So he could go to the, you know, the, the sports camp or whatever, mm-hmm. having to wait a year. That's it. That's it. Other than that, uh, immigrant family from, uh, Americanized immigrant family from Italy. Um, mm-hmm. I think two generations back, but not yeah. a goddamn quarterback. 
No. So, anyway, Galton uh, ultimately believed that it should be humanity's goal to seek to improve itself. And he'd convinced himself through his own understanding of science and statistics that the biggest impediments to these laws or to this were laws that protected everyone equally because of course they were so you protect everyone equally then the stupid don't weed themselves out and therefore other efforts would be needed to go around these laws in order to improve the human race okay so this is this is literally illiberal on its face you know funny that you would bring that term into it because actually he's the more liberal version of eugenics because by the early 1900s, eugenics branched into two separate approaches, a left-wing approach and a right-wing approach. Oh, shit. Yes. And he's And he's the, the lefty hippie dip? Well, his approach will be. It's not simply wealthy, rightist, anti-democratic shitbirds, spoiled bitch boys who think this stuff up good decent well-meaning shitbird racist liberals who want an equal but excellent society that is tied entirely too much to blood and heredity also get into this shit and i think he's that guy so nobody's clean here this, yeah. this is not liberal versus conservative this is not uh, republican versus democrat this is not this is not whig versus uh liberal later labor none of that okay um this is left wing mm -hmm. right wing on the right wing were the biologists who heavily leaned on biology to explain eugenics for the good of the race, animal husbandry. On yeah. the left wing, there were statisticians and sociologists who said it was a combination of biology and social customs. He is of that. So okay. he's a left wing eugenicist. Now, both wings couldn't leave people to fuck alone. Uh and they both bought into the idea that humanity could, as a species, be improved upon with flawless precision uh, if they got their way. And both mm. favored different approaches toward perfecting the human race. Uh, Right-wing eugenicists wanted negative eugenics uh, that would stop the wrong people from fucking uh, and allow the right ones to fuck unimpeded and to outbreed the bad ones. Left-wing okay. eugenicists wanted positive eugenics, wherein they encouraged the right people to fuck a lot and therefore outbreed. So one tax the the dumb, uh, the right. other one subsidize the smart. Right. Right. Both let's let's get smart people fucking a lot more. And both wanted policies that took humanity down their chosen path of fucking with people. Uh, so begging the question plus white supremacy. <laughs> so 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 did any of these people think about okay. 15 20 30 generations down the road right oh they jerked off to that well okay but hold hold on though sure sure like were they envisioning like ultimately both of mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. were they were they envisioning a future with the eloy and the morlocks no just uh eloy morlocks okay. would have died off okay right okay <laughs> so then <laughs> so then yeah. Who's going to work in the factories? Because people come up with machines. Remember, this is during the Gilded Age. This is during the Mechanized Age. This is what Steampunk <sighs> was based on. Yeah, like, right. Fuck. Yeah, all right. Now back to Ernst Heinrich Philipp August Heichel, um, because I can't leave well enough alone. Heichel took his understanding of biology and evolution and applied it to humanity using racist intuition rather mm -hmm. than actual science. 
He right. he wrote a book called Wonders of Life, which sounds nice in 1904. Um, oh, okay. Uh, he he wrote this book um, after listing the amount of people who were held in Europe in institutions who were considered for that time lunatics. His term. Heichel then went on to describe 200,000 of them as incurable and thus better served by state-sponsored killing by poison. This is what he writes in Wonders of Life. Wait, what? Yeah. So he writes Wonders of Life in 1904. Yeah. Is that your third one? Uh Uh-uh. Okay, it's your second? Uh, so he writes, it's a, it's a manful gulp on the second one. <laughs> Good Lord. He writes wonders of life in 1904 and he lists, he says the amount of people being held in, uh, uh, institutions, institutions for being lunatics, his word, um, the, the word at the time, um, he described 200,000 of them as simply incurable and therefore they would be better served by being euthanized. For their own good, it's compassionate conservatism. Quote. Wow. Here, here's Heichel. Okay. How much of this pain and expense could be spared if people could make up their minds to free the incurable from their indescribable torments by a dose of morphia? Naturally, this act of kindness should not be left to the discretion of an individual physician, but be determined by a commission of competent and conscientious medical men. Do you remember when I did V and yeah. uh, we talked about uh, the, the the term death panel? Mm-hmm. This is an actual death panel he's advocating for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just I just want to point out that uh-huh. um, I got I'm looking at the, the timeline. Oh. Well, one. Um, but no, I'm trying to find a timeline on this. But um, for for prior to world war prior to the world wars yes um german philosophy uh-huh not when we're, we're what we're talking about right here is is you know german quote unquote men of science mm-hmm. but pure philosophers mm-hmm. in germany were were busy talking about morality and ethics as as like their main talking points, Kantian ethics is, is mm-hmm. a thing. And I find it remarkable that one of the most morally driven, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, traditions of philosophy could be sharing kind of sort of a timeline and a, and a place in space mm-hmm. with, this kind of horrifying, mm-hmm. horrifying inhumanity. Uh, I'm sorry. No, this is, um, this is sparing people pain and expense. This is the most humane thing you could do. This, this is an act of kindness. Have you fucking asked any of these people if they're suffering? Oh, they don't know what they want. This, this, this is. What? This is people doing what needs to be done. This is the ultimate kindness. This this is the moral bonfire you're talking about. We need yes. people with dark souls. Yes. So here's <sighs> the thing. 
he has himself and this is this is why words fucking matter um he <laughs> has himself convinced and anyone who reads him that this is he is recast kindness so kantian ethics require you to do this wow because it's a societal thing it's not just a personal thing so the the demeaning that happens to your soul by doing a violence to someone else is is immaterial when you look at the overall good that it does so you can't escape bentham when you're talking about this stuff because uh, that gives you the mo the moral yeah power. yeah now i'm gonna i'm gonna finish this episode with this quote from heichel okay quote what good does it do to humanity to maintain artificially and rear the thousands of cripples, deaf mutes, idiots, etc., who are born every year with an hereditary burden of incurable disease? It is not better and more rational to cut off, or is it not better and more rational to cut off from the first this unavoidable misery, which their poor lives will bring into the will bring to themselves and their families? The truth is. The opposition is only due to sentiment and the power of conventional morality. Sentiment should never be allowed to usurp the place of reason in these weighty ethical questions. End quote. You're just being so emotional about this. Right. See, I'm I'm motivated by logic. Right. Quit being such a little bitch. Yeah, she many fucking Christmas. Yeah. So here's a here's this this occurs to me okay. hearing all of that. Say I'm you know, born all 10 fingers, all 10 toes, sure. fully compost mentis, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I live 15, let's say 18 years. I live 18 years, totally fine. I am able-bodied. I am sound of mind. Mm -hmm. And then I get involved, this is the 1880s, so I get involved in a streetcar accident. Sure. And either or both I lose a limb, I suffer massive brain trauma, and I'm still able to function, but I am like I'm I'm alive and I can still talk. I'm still a sapient being, but okay. my IQ has been damaged. It's, it's taken a, a, a 30 point nosedive. Yeah. 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 Or or mm -hmm. it isn't even my IQ. I've just lost a leg. Sure. Well, those are two very different things. Okay. According according to Haeckel, Heichel, uh -huh. I'm making an assumption here. Uh -huh. But okay, if I've if I've just lost a leg, fuck on. Yeah. If you're if you're proven to be good uh, at the brainy stuff, fuck on. But if I've taken a thirty point IQ nosedive, that might affect your kids. Here's 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 yeah, and so here's some hemlock. Yeah. Yeah. Any kids I've already had are okay. Right. But, but because we're dealing Lamarckian with Lamarck. Stuff, yep. Okay. Yeah. And also think of the burden that you are on the state. Mm, you are well, yeah. And, and yeah, then, then we're getting into the right wing, you know, mm -hmm. economic political arguments. She many bloody. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I have enough beer in the house. Well, that that's Jesus. it for this episode. So you'll, okay. you'll well, between. Um, I already know what you've gleaned because uh, <laughs> we're only on page five. Uh, so, crickets. Uh, is there anything you would like to recommend to people to read? Um, no, not not at this point in the proceedings. Okay. I'm going to recommend everybody 
depending on when you're listening to this, like if you haven't listened in a few weeks and it's like, oh, I have a couple of episodes to catch up on. Um, in that case, I am going to recommend uh, Bourbon. Fair. I'm, I'm, like, I'm going to strongly recommend after this episode is over, before you go starting up the next one, if you're planning on binging, now would be a good time to go to your liquor cabinet. Because I can tell already this is going to be rough. Uh, holy cow. Um, yeah. So that's, that's my recommendation at this point. Good Lord. These people are awful. Yes. Yes, they are. Uh, you know, and, and, and one thing, one thing that does occur to me kind Uh of as a, as a gleaning at this point is whenever anyone on, on any, from any point of the political spectrum, Mm -hmm. the moment anyone starts zooming the picture out far mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. you need to watch very carefully what they're saying yes because whether from the left or the right or or any point on the spectrum if you if you zoom out far enough for the individual to blur enough you are you are painting a picture to allow awful shit to be done. Yeah. It's important to zoom you out, know. but look at who's asking you to zoom out and for what purpose. Yeah. Because very often when you, when you, anytime you zoom out, you lose detail. Yeah. What details are they trying to get you to not point out? Yeah. yeah. And, and when you need to start listening for, are they starting to say something that is dehumanizing anybody? Mm-hmm. And the moment that happens, <laughs> pump the brakes hard. Yeah. And yeah, because, because so much of this, the, you know, and another, yeah. And another final, final point, final thing that occurs to me is so much of this is coming from a point of view where the people that are reading this shit and the people that are talking about this shit in their salons Mm -hmm. are so removed from anybody who is working class Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, that paternalism breeds in, in circumstances where they don't have social contact with these people. Right. Like there is no egalitarianism in, in these social circles to make it so like, well, okay, yeah, no, but you know, if you did that, you'd be saying that Bob doesn't get to have kids and we all know Bob and like, he's a good dude. Right. You know, that, that doesn't happen there. And so these things don't get questioned. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Fuck. Liquor. Hit the liquor cabinet. So, yeah, that's, that's, do you have anything you'd like to recommend at this point? Actually, I would. Uh, Here's a story that will cheer you up a bit. It's called Crazy 08 by Kate Murphy, uh, C A I T Murphy. Um, And it is essentially, well, the, the subtitle is How a Cast of Cranks, Rogues, Boneheads, and Magnates. Uh, created the greatest year in baseball history uh and so it's it's essentially about the the new york giants uh attempt to get to the world series um and it's the last time the cubs won the world series so spoiler alert the giants don't make it okay it has to do with merkel's boner which is awesome um baseball fans you'll know what that is um, and by the way, uh, this was the year that Honus Wagner probably had the best baseball season that any player ever had in Major League Baseball. 
by a oh, lot wow. of experts measures. Yeah. And he was on the pirates and it's this three-way rivalry. It is fun. It is so fun. Um, it will be a palate cleanser. So have that on okay. your hand after you listen. To All this. right. So, cool. 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 Um, do you want to be found anywhere? I do not at present. Okay. Uh, How about find you? me on thread at Duh Harmony. Um, oh, hey. So yeah, I, I figured right. I'd give that a shot and see what happens. Uh, okay. It sounds like not toxic Twitter so far. So there you go. Um, All right. Yeah. Other than that, well, for A Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling 20s. <laughs>